found us again on Boomerangs. This is Ruth. And this is Mike. And we're going to be discussing a few topics today. First is Downton Abbey, which we both saw last night. A movie. And I'm going to try to sell Mike on Shameless, the series on Showtime, which is coming back for its 10th and probably last season. And we're also going to be discussing Howard Zinn's book. A Brief History of the United States. Yes. And lastly, but not leastly, we'll touch on the impeachment and how that's progressing. So... Oh, yes, that's it. Love that theme song. Yes, let's yes. chat. Let's chat about that. <laughs> I have a few things to say about that. Well, why don't you start? Downton Abbey. It's everything you expected. I think that's exactly what's wrong with it's it. It's very predictable. It's more of an homage to what it was than any kind of new kind of thing. That's and a really good observation. It seems like he lost his power. So I think Julian Fellows lost his powers. He, he lost his Downton powers. I just expected something less hyper-inflated. I expected it, it was as if they had to pump money into it and everything was turned up to 11. And I just wanted it to be the simple kind of story that it was. Mm-hmm. And the, part of it is it was two hours. Right. They did do an hour and a half I think it was a Christmas episode one year and that was fine mm-hmm. but I think the two hours they just had too much time yeah on the plus side it was for fans of the show it was fun to just see everybody yes it was and I do remember murmuring ah many times <laughs> when some character that I'd forgotten about came out and oh I'd forgotten about her oh I just did oh, that over the dresses so, so. but I wanted I never asked you while we were watching it oh and should we say we watched it at the Landmark Theater in a new format of yes, that film was viewing called Lounge seating. I don't know. It was fun, but it, I'm not sure what to make of it. You sit on couches, and luckily, I sat with you, and we yes. we are friends, so it was not uncomfortable at all. But we had a friend with us who was sitting next uh, to a stranger yeah, on a couch. Yeah, on the couch. It's a little creepy. Yeah, I yeah. thought that was odd, and she was not too happy about it either. But it was also kind of fun to see Downton Abbey on couches because it made you feel like you were in a living room. Yes. And then it made you feel like it was back on television. And the screen was small. I mean, it was wasn't it? like a huge screen. Like it, a 70 millimeter. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know. I mean, it's worth viewing if you like the show. I think it's still worth a vis- worth going to see the movie. I mean, it's just fun to see how um, Mary's hair bob turned out. Oh my God. <laughs> that that alone is pretty good. Oh my God. It's great. Her, the dresses, I'm telling you. Who do they get to the come dresses. into that little town and make such a fantastic haircut? I think she got a cut elsewhere. She goes to London, I guess. Yes, I think that's done. right. Yeah. She must. <laughs> yeah. I don't think she leaves it to the um, hoi polloi. To that's really one hair. of the most exciting parts of the show. <laughs> Her hair. So about the movie, I would say um, see it if you if you love the series, but go in with low expectations because there's just not much story there. In terms of plot and dialogue, it's not it's, it's not, not scrumptious the way it was on television. Yeah, no, it's not delicious. But it is fun to see them again. It's it like is. seeing old friends. True, and I imagine that there will be another film because you think another. Well, because Mary oh. goes through that struggle of wondering whether she should keep down mm, Abby right. or whether they should move into a more modern situation. And right, and there's also a little bit of a plot cliffhanger in terms of the the maid that's brought over by Melda Stanton. And oh what's gonna, yes, what's the oh, next thing that's going to happen around that? Oh, Mustn't yeah. say too much. No, 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 no. It's it's clear from the first that we see her that she and Branson mm-hmm. have a spark. The plot thickens. Yeah. And that is a nice touch in this movie is that Maggie Smith gets to sort of acquiesce in a sense to something she wouldn't ordinarily acquiesce to. But then you hear her say afterwards that the story's not over yet. That she she, have... It was a play. It was a chess play. It wasn't a... Yes, it that's wasn't true. It wasn't a, checkmate. A final result, yeah. There is one point where she says, oh, I'm glad. And it is her best line yeah, reading. It's the best sarcasm you ever saw. <laughs> She's a treasure. 
Anyway, on to Shameless, which is on Showtime. Right. It's coming back for its what I think is going to be its final season. It's based on a British show of the same name. And what's amazing about what they were able to do with it was these were really a low-class family from, I don't know, Manchester, Liverpool, someplace like that. And they are just, the father is just a shameless, shameless drunk. And they moved it to the south side of Chicago. And the story is a family whose father is unrepentantly alcoholic. I mean, there is no point at which he has any desire to ever get clean. And the household is being run by the oldest daughter, Fiona. And there are just a cast of excellent young actors who play the children. The situations are amazing. The, the writing, it's John Wells who did ER. He oversees the production and it's very much his baby. I've watched this cast of characters just grow up over these nine, ten seasons, and I love them so much. And every season I've prepared myself for the fact that it might not come back, but it's actually very popular as a, you know, as these Showtime series go. Right, right. But it's funny, it's compassionate, it's a very loving look at a family that's doing whatever they have to to get by. Mm. And mm. some of it's not very pretty. The kids range from, I think, at the beginning, the baby is a year old and goes up to Fiona's probably 20 wow. when it starts. Yeah. Hmm. So quite a range. It's just brilliant. And I guess that's all I can think to say about it. I don't, it's so funny. I've seen the, you know, you have those little uh-huh. frames and I've seen it for years and I read the subtitle and yeah. like, well, that seems kind of fun. And I see Bill Macy, who I've always liked, and I don't know why I've just never gone in there. I've never hit that button. Well, Showtime, you have to subscribe to it. So there's that. Maybe it streams on Netflix, the older seasons. That wouldn't surprise uh, it me. It must be older seasons that I've seen okay. coming up because I don't have any premium channels. Okay. And I'm too desperate to see yeah. it as soon as it comes out to not yeah. get Showtime. But I only subscribe while it's on the air and then I drop my subscription when it's over. So there are like 12 episodes a season and I wait for it every year. Wow. Like, when, is, when is Shameless going to come 12 back? Episodes, 12, 12 one-hour episodes? Yes. Wow, it's a lot. Yeah, it is. But it goes by so fast. Yeah. It's just The great thing about it is it's chock full of plot. Oh, okay. It's like ER in that way. There's okay. just something going on with every single character, every right. single episode. And yeah. it's just dense and wonderful and it goes down easy. Right, right. Yeah. So that's my elevator pitch for a <laughs> very tall elevator. Yeah, Bill Macy. He's always fun. And he is spectacular in this. He yeah. got an Emmy nomination. I thought he was going to win. Yeah. The year he was nominated. But yeah. I don't think he's going to get a nomination this year. <laughs> I think his, oh, his dabblings in the uh, college the admission scandal, scandal. Mm-hmm. will probably have everybody. Oh, of... yeah. They'll be keeping a distance. Yeah. Everyone else in the entertainment business is so upstanding. <laughs> <laughs> Poor Bill Macy. So true. He used to stand alone. <laughs> the cheese stands alone. <laughs> I love that expression. <laughs> I can the hell identify. Did that mean? I don't know, but I have been the cheese on many occasions. Oh, me too. Oh, oh my God. God. Well, shall we move on to yes. Howard Zinn? Oh, Howard Zinn, yeah. So he's written a book called A Brief History of the United States that I'm not reading, I'm listening to. And that's why I can't always remember all the details because often I listen to it as I'm falling asleep at night. Oh. But I will back up to what the part that I do remember. Be that as it may, from out of the gate, this book recounts starting with Europeans first setting foot in this hemisphere and moving very quickly into the early 17th century Jamestown, Plymouth Bay Colony. Oh, so it starts with Columbus? Yeah. And he goes right to issues of Genesis and atrocities 
I learned in a very short amount of time that what I was taught in school about history and nature and makeup and moral compass of the United States of America is pretty much a fabrication in terms of our true history and that our real history involves massive genocide, slavery, racism, horrible treatment you could call terrorism today of people put on ships to come over here. Terrorism in what way? Well, the conditions on the ships he describes, for instance, on the slave ships, he describes in very vivid oh, detail. Oh, the slaves coming over. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Yes. Yeah, the ships that they put them on. I always thought, well, they, they were on ships. Maybe it was a little crowded. No, it was much worse than that. A lot of them didn't even make the passage because they were so sick. Oh, yeah. And they were put in, they, they would put these slats in. So, so they'd be like lying down. They couldn't even sit up straight. They were in like, almost like in cages. Yeah. He goes into great detail about... Well, they were chained also. Yeah. They were chained yeah. down. So anyway, in a very short time, you get this you get this exposure to a different side of what had to happen for Europeans to put down roots in North America and do what they did. And you find out that it's not the little fairy tale that we were taught in school about, oh, they wanted freedom and they wanted religious liberty. And so they came here. It wasn't like that. It was pretty brutal. One point he makes that, that to me was an eye-opener was that a lot of the people who came to settle here did feel victimized for various reasons, whatever their condition was in England. And so he makes the point pretty clear without saying it overtly that, you know, without saying that you and I know of hurt people, hurt people, that these people came over to this country feeling victimized. So it wasn't a big stretch for them to victimize those who were here. They found out that the Indian populations, the native populations, they, tr they tried to enslave them and make them do all the hard work so that they could survive through a season and it apparently didn't work so well so that's when the slavery from Africa became a, a big craze. Huh. When did, well it was 1619 when the first The first Africans brought to person. North America. Okay. Um, but we know that they, the first one landed in Virginia. In yeah. Oh my God. And then there's this other point he makes. We have the concept in our culture, Western European culture, now it's probably worldwide, that there's this idea of owning property. This was a very foreign idea to the people who lived here before we got here. The earth was the earth and you didn't own a piece of it. It That was just a foreign idea. It'd be like owning a piece of the sky. Do you mean in, in England there was no property ownership the way that they No, I mean the native people who lived here before the Europeans oh, came. Oh, yes. Yes. They did not have a concept of owning land. Okay. And that's one reason why it became easy for Europeans to take land from them because they didn't have this concept of like you own this parcel of land and I own this parcel. But didn't they it have a, territory? It was foreign. They defended from other... They may have had borders that they protected, I guess. Okay. But it's just the idea of ownership of property and ownership of land was a foreign concept. I still think it's a bad idea. It's just so... It feels second nature because we grew up with it. Yes. I, to me, it feels to make perfect sense. But I can... All, the book, Howard Zinn's book, makes me understand too that things that we take as just basic fact. Yeah. And yes, of course. The earth has a finite amount of dry land and we parcel it up and we decide who owns what and we use it for transactions. Yes. But there are whole different ways of looking at the world and their way of looking at the world made them particularly vulnerable to being exploited by the Europeans who came. And also, a lot of poor whites were sent over as indentured servants and even criminals were sent over as part of their, their sentence for whatever they did. Often the crime was that they were poor and they, were, they would be sent over here. Huh. And the English culture had a real problem with people who were poor. They saw it. Talk about alcoholism. It's Calvinism. Well, they saw poverty as a moral failure. Yes, that's part of what Calvinism is. It's that God blesses those. Yes, God blesses those who are, who are worthy right. with wealth. And those who are not worthy... 
it is a moral failing on their part for them not to have a reasonable right. income. Right. But with even with capitalism, it sounds more compassionate in a way because it says, well, you were made to be poor. So that's just the way you are. Oh, and he does quote, I don't remember who it is, but some thinker from those days that, that said, the natural order of things is that there are a certain number of people who are on top and there are a certain number who are in the middle yeah. and there are a certain number who are destined to be poor. But yeah, poverty had nothing to do with social conditions or inequality. It had to do with just like we used to think alcoholism had to do with just not having enough willpower to resist. So there's just a lot of weird toxic ideas from our European background that got planted over here. And then I learned too in the book that a lot of the upper class people that came here and established themselves in Boston and other places, they wanted and succeeded at bringing over the same class system from England over here. So what I was taught in school was that America was a place where Europeans came because they were being persecuted persecuted for religious Mm -hmm. reasons, and they wanted to form a land where people were equal. And then you learn about the um, Declaration of Independence and all men are created equal. equal. Of course, it was baloney because it was written by slaveholders. So all men weren't created equal. And women weren't mentioned either. Yeah. It's the dark history of how we started in this hemisphere as Europeans coming over. Um, Well, you know what they say. It's the winners who make the history. That's right. He quotes somebody who quotes Napoleon, who said history is uh, it's a fable written for suckers by the people who won. Yeah, yeah, it's true. I don't know how you say sucker in French, though. (laughs) (laughs) Sucker. I'm so interested in your explorations of this. And I I also, does he talk about reparations at all? He may later on. I'm just into the part where we're getting close to, we're getting close to 1776. And he's already put forward this idea that I'd never heard of before, which was that this idea of nationhood for the United States that came about in the mid-18th century, it wasn't all because of this high vision of a better place and freedom from England. Partly, it was a concept that was useful to the upper classes to get the middle and lower classes that were rebelling against them to join them in this so-called noble fight for liberty, and that they could convince them that we have to, we need liberty, and we're all in this together. Together. So it was a way to anesthetize the lower classes okay. and have them join into a system that was exploiting them. And were, so so there were rebellions in the colonies? There had been, yeah, he, he lists tons of them. There were all huh. these rebellions. There were slave rebellions. There were rebellions of the white indentured servants. There were rebellions of the whites who were sent to the, the interior to expand the territory, but also had to fight with the Native Americans there. They had to pay taxes. There were these wars going on and people had to pay taxes for them but you know they were relegated to lower class citizenship right while they were asked to do this so there, huh. there were lots of rebellions and there were rebellions where blacks and whites joined together there were rebellions where native americans and whites joined together oh god there was this thing too there would be these skirmishes and fights between the white settlers out in the interior and the native tribes and if the native tribe won the battle they would bring some of the the women and children from the white group into their tribe and they would live with them. And then later, they would have an opportunity, the white people, sometimes they would choose not to go back. Yeah. Uh, So it's just interesting. But I love too that he does say, because it it would be easy for me to fall into this thing of, oh, these evil Europeans, these evil white ancestors of of mine. And look, what they did was not pretty. It was pretty vile in many ways. But I like how he goes out of his way, Zin does, to say, look, this is telling the truth about what happened. But this isn't about taking a big bath in guilt. Yeah. It's about looking at what happened and it's about finding what's the better part of us 
today where we might find a different direction to go in. Yeah. Well, it would be easy to sink into despair. Yes. And it reverberates today because we have today with the Make America Great Again slogan, that's exactly the same thing. You have an upper class who's manipulating people who really are being treated unfairly economically in this country. Yes. They're being exploited. Yeah. And it's like, pay no attention to the economic inequality. Let's make America great again, which means make America white again, which means you may be down at the bottom of the totem pole, but you're better than those people that have darker skin than you. Yeah. So come join us. Yeah. We'll take good care of you. Yeah. It's so manipulative and it's so false and dishonest. It's so interesting and its roots it, go back it to the reverberates. Of the, of yes. The it's patterns that go back to the 1600s. So it's an eye opener. Yeah, I'm very curious about this. I'm, I may read it myself just because it sounds fascinating. I've mm-hmm. heard about it for so many years that it, this is sort of the definitive history right. of the making yeah. of America. And that's what, whenever I talk about it or think about it, what really astounds me, it's not only the horrible things that our European forebears did here, but it's looking back on what we were taught about this country in a class that was called history and realizing, like Napoleon said, it was a fable written for suckers. Yes. Yeah. And we were given the idea that America was a noble enterprise. Right. And maybe a part of it was, you know, I mean, maybe it's not all bad. I haven't gotten to the, the Revolutionary War yet. Oh, okay. And all of that. It's just very sobering to look back and see all. I think that's the point. It's not about we saw ourselves as good and now we find out we were bad. I think it's the story includes a lot of bad that we were not informed about. It hopefully doesn't negate the brighter aspects of our history Well, and, yeah. the, and the more nobler aspirations of those early settling yeah. people. Well, we, we were sold a fantasy. Yeah, we, about were, our we were shown a sliver. Dreams. We were shown a sliver of the pie and that sliver probably still is true, but there's just so much more of the pie. No, this is so interesting. And and it was happening, too, in South America, that Spaniards were doing the same thing. Yeah. You know, to the native tribes there. Oh, so, no, the Spaniards were horrible. Yeah. The Europeans did bad things all along the, the continent of yeah. America and South America. Right. And it's okay. I mean, it's not okay, but it's like, okay, that's history. That happened. We can accept it. But we can't even accept it if we're not taught it. Right. Well, how can we better ourselves yeah. so that we actually fulfill what we were told was our destiny? Yeah. I think it's almost like recovery or therapy where on a personal level, you go back to your origins and you see what happened. And there may be a period that you're working through where you get angry about what happened because you weren't aware of it at the time. And you look, but over time, it's not about going back to point fingers at people. It's going about going back just to know what really happened so that you can deal with what's happening today. Yeah. Yeah. To to understand that white Europeans enslaved people Mm -hmm. and we have a legacy that we have to reckon with. That's it. And it's not about, look how bad we were. It's about what really happened. What really happened happened. and what are we going to do with the fact that we now have to live with the results Mm -hmm. and we have the progeny of the people who were exploited. And how do we make sense of that? How do we make that right? Mm -hmm. Because until we make it right, we can't really move forward. Right. And in the present day too, what's really going on? Yeah, it's been an eye opener, I'm telling you. I have, uh, I feel enlightened just having heard you talk about it. Shall we move on to the impeachment? Oh, yes. What's the latest? What's going on? Well, as Stephanie Miller's sound engineer, Sean Kaminsky, always says, Mike Pence is up to his albino eyebrows in this. And I think we have some news that Mike Pence was traveling to. Did he go to Ukraine? 
I don't know, but he was, I, I guess, also making phone calls similar to what Trump was doing, trying to get them to uh, to help them with tarnishing Joe Biden yes. in exchange for getting the foreign aid that had already been assured to them, had already been earmarked and was on its way to them. And was stopped. And it was stopped. Yeah. I just am so fascinated that now these last two weeks are so diametrically opposed from where we were before the whistleblower. It was always an uphill struggle. We were pushing the rock up the hill, trying to get enough going on that people would pay attention and take this problem seriously. And now it's got a momentum of its own. Isn't it like the emperor's new clothes, though? I mean, for the longest time, Trump ran around and said, <laughs> you know, I'm a stable genius. Yeah. I am uh, the greatest president that the United States has ever had. Yeah. And there was no blowback. And now he's melting down. Well, yes. And I mean, I think it's that. But I think, too, in a way, this this is an echo of the Nixon story. We already have the tapes. We, yes. He gave us the tape. Exactly. The tape is him talking to <laughs> Zelensky or whatever his Monica name is. Monica Zelensky. Monica Zelensky over there in Ukraine. <laughs> and so it's a smoking gun and he gave it to us he and it's it so clear. So there's no struggle to wrap your mind around the concept of what may have happened where the whole thing with Mueller, it seemed obvious to you and me, but not to a lot of people. No. And there was no connection. There was no absolute connection between That's right. Trump and what was going on with Russia and the interference he with the election. He say it never happened. That's right. And there was no... No one to fight back absolute on Absolute smoking gun on right. that. Right. Nothing to refute it. Yes. Uh, nothing tangible, at least that we know of, except if maybe it's exactly. in the redacted it portions be, of the Mueller report. Be. But we never got our paws on it. That's for sure. Right. And now we have irrefutable yeah. evidence that he was tainting his yeah. own election possibilities. I'm, now, already the subpoenas have gone out, and already the White House is saying we're not going to yeah. respect the subpoenas. So yeah. I wonder if they're going to succeed in dragging it out, or if some court person is going to come in and say, hey, you have to turn that stuff over it's and turn it over quickly. Court. It is going to go to the Supreme Court. Oh, that's, well, that's, that's where dicey. it's going to end up. Yeah, yes. Because he owns those people. Yes. I mean, Roberts has turned out to be, strangely, the swing vote in right. a lot of decisions. You know this Judge Amy Berman, is that her name? I, I know she's been in this already. She's a high place oh, was judge. She in Virginia or Washington? Something, yeah. Okay. Anyway, I read a small item this week that she has ordered the White House not to destroy anything on that secret server yeah. that they put all those conversations on. Yeah. Probably uh, too late, but at least, you know, she put them under notice. Well, did you hear Malcolm Nance talking about how it's impossible to destroy the server because it's all in the cloud? Oh, no. And it's encrypted in a oh, way that right. cannot be really... They don't have control over it. There's no Rosemary Woods to... Uh, to erase put, 18 uh, minutes? silence button on. Yeah, yeah, that's right. Yeah. And now, didn't you say that there were two new whistleblowers? Well, yeah. I'd heard of one from the IRS. There's a there's one from the IRS, and then there's a second whistleblower who works with CIA also, like the first whistleblower. But I'm told from what I've read that the second person is a little higher up the chain. Okay. So has more direct knowledge and has witnessed things at a closer level, oh. where the one who's come forward so far, he was told things by people. People, Got it. Where the new one apparently was party to some of okay. these conversations. But it's amazing. It's like, I think what they have now is sufficient, but they're going to have much more. There's just much more coming all the time. It's, it's just like the, like the dam is broken. Yes, exactly. 
it's just they were holding it and holding it and now it's finally just broken. Yeah. Well, it feels like a new day in America. I hope so. I don't know. It'll be interesting to see how it pans out. I heard somebody talking about the long-term effect that the investigation might mm-hmm. have. And he was talking about a kind of particular kind of voter that doesn't just doesn't want to hear all of this stuff. Right. And it's been four years of nothing but talk and blowback and right. Trump threatening and right. Twittering and right, all right. the rest of it. And that that kind of voter may just be exhausted by the opportunity to have another four years of yeah. this kind of chatter and noise making yeah. and may just feel that I don't want four more years of this. Right. Some of the commentators say that Trump's mindset is very in tune with reality TV uh-huh. and that he almost instinctively as a natural way of being, he just keeps creating more conflict, more conflict, more conflict, yeah. more strife, more disagreement because it keeps people tuning in for the next uh-huh. chapter. Yeah. And maybe what you're saying is true. Maybe people have gotten saturated with the reality TV methods and pace Mm -hmm. and yeah the model yeah maybe they've just gotten exhausted with it I'm exhausted I'm well I was exhausted the night he won (laughs) (laughs) that's true yeah and yet there will be the 35-39% who are going to back him up no matter what yes and I kind of get that because you don't want to admit that you were wrong by putting your faith into somebody oh it's cognitive dissonance yeah you would anyone would rather stick to the status quo belief system because otherwise you have to admit that you made a horrible mistake who wants to do that? But, Bill W. said. Yes. Who cares to admit complete defeat? Practically no one. So there you go. Yes. And just have to draw that in. No, I and I think that partly it's a social thing. If people in your social circle mm-hmm. are supportive of Trump, right, it would be very hard to pull away from that. Just like it would be very hard That's for right. me. That's right. The tribe. For for me to say I've decided that I'm going to be a conservative Republican. Right. I'm I'm born again. <laughs> and say that to you. Can yeah. you imagine? Yeah. You. Yeah. I, that would be weird. confusing at best. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and then it would just unravel and go downhill quickly from there. <laughs> That's right. That'd be at the end of oh this podcast. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Oh yeah. So I God. think that it's part of partly political, but I think it's also partly social. Yeah. And that's why it's so difficult to move from one side to the other. Right. Mm. Well, more on this to come. Yeah. We'll see what tomorrow holds. It's yeah. always something new. Yes. It's something new every day. Oh, my it's... God. Malcolm Nance must be working on 20 new books by now. <laughs> he was yelling a lot on Stephanie. He was very loud. Yelly McGillerson. <laughs> That's what they call him. <laughs> anyway, thank you again for tuning in, Boomers. We will be talking to you in a week. See you soon, Boomers. And others. And others. And all. And Take all. care. Bye. Me and mine and all. <laughs> Bye-bye. Bye-bye.